Our Father, we have just sung about heaven, a place to which most of us have an eye cut. We long, O oh God, to be in the presence, be in your presence where there, is, where there are no more tears. There's no more sorrow. There's no more sin. There's no more of my sin. There's no more of these people's sin. That it has been dealt with finally. And we enjoy an eternity of felicity and bliss in your, in your presence. Where we sing praises and worship and serve the living God, casting all of our crowns at His feet. And say along with the multitudes of the ages, worthy is the Lamb of God who was slain. Indeed, Father, we sing that same hymn this morning, yet we sing it with less gusto than we will sing it then. We pray, O oh God, that you will work in us such a desire for heaven that all that glitters of this world will fade, that nothing will be able to entice us like heaven entices us, that all of the promises of success and prosperity and fame and fortune will be of little consequence to people who know that only in your presence will there be a completeness of joy. Father, we know that. We believe that. Forgive us that we don't live like that. But Father, it is our intention. It is our intention to live as if joy will only be found in your presence. Now, Father, accept our gifts. They are expressions of love for Thee and a confidence in Thee concerning our financial future. We make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to Genesis chapter 2. It is indeed a privilege to preach on Mother's Day, but it's also very difficult because we have Mother's Day once a year, as you know, and, and so uh, it seems like we've got to make this emphasis... Um, again and again, and it's already all been said. Maybe it should just simply be repeated. But what I've chosen to do this morning is to perhaps expand my emphasis to the family. And uh, hopefully uh, the, the mothers among us will take joy in the, in the underscoring of that human institution that is so important to you and to us as, as husbands and fathers. Uh, let me... Well, before I read my text, I, I, I want to promote a couple of books. Um, this is something that men and women all should read. This is an Edith Schaefer book that's been around for decades, well, a couple of decades. Edith Schaefer, of course, is the, hus uh, the wife of Francis Schaefer, the founder of Labrie. Uh, if you've never read What is a Family, oh, my friends, do yourself a favor, particularly you young mothers, oh, my, this will influence you. There's no better definition of what... I mean, shit, let me... <laughs> I think what you really ought to do is leave now, go buy the book and forget my sermon because this is much better than what I'm going to say. There is one that is particularly designed for women, Female Piety. This is an old book, um, 19th century, by John Angle James. Unbelievably rich, but it's, it's, it's more difficult waiting. I mean, it's a more difficult... Um, it's, it's harder to wade through than is this. This is just delightful. The table of contents, I'll read it to you, I don't have time, but um, great stuff um, concerning the family and the roles that mother, wives and mothers might play in it. 
My text this morning comes from Genesis chapter 2, which is, of course, the institution of the family units. Ladies and gentlemen, know this. Understand that God created and sanctified two institutions, only two. He created and sanctified the church. This is his institution of reaching the world. But more fundamentally, he architected and sanctified the family. Only two institutions, the church and the family. It began as early as Eden, the Garden of, prior to the fall. Let me read to you just four or five verses, beginning at verse 21 of Genesis 2. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man, and Adam said... This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife were not ashamed. The grass withers and flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Gang, um, one of my sadnesses is that our culture is really attacking the family in every way that it can. It's interesting that um, nothing, has, nothing seems to be sacred, particularly this institution known as the church and the family. And um, our culture seems to define the human or the family as a, as a human invention some product of evolutionary philosophy, which is nothing more than a, that was a, an institution spawned by expediency. One man I heard describe it as a power play. The family is nothing but a power play um, uh, as women and men struggle for power. Um, our, our notions about the family are usually shaped more by the culture than they are by the Scriptures. And what I want to do in Mother's Day and Father's Day this year is simply underscore the urgency of the family. Um, there are so many assaults against it. Even one of our first ladies <clears throat> wrote a book that was a broadside attack at the biblical norm for family where she told us that family wasn't enough. We have to improve on the institution by exchanging for the village. Assault from everywhere, ladies and gentlemen. And our families have paid the price. Our families have been assaulted, as you well know. This morning, we are, um, we are somewhat pressed for time because we will enjoy the sacraments before we're finished. And I know not how much time I'm going to have to talk to you. It matters not. Because I think you would rather hear what you're about to hear than hear from me. Gang, my, my intention on Mother's Day and Father's Day this year is to do two things. I want to bolster an appreciation for the family. And so what I want to do is take you through some passages. And, and I'm prepared to do that if we have time. But we might be able to save it for Father's Day. But I also want to encourage and foster hope. 
hope for the biblical norm known as the family. And I'm convinced that you're about to hear consummate hope. These are two friends of mine. I've known them for years. In fact, when I was doing singles years ago, from 85 to 91, um, Ron and Judy were a part of that singles ministry. It was a delight having them. Uh, and they ended up man and wife. But Judy, let me ask you this. Tell me about the beginning um, of your marriage. Or tell them, not me. Um, I guess we should have known we were in trouble just by starting off in Jimmy's singles group. <laughs> Um, actually, our marriage did start off in trouble from the very beginning, and that's a whole other story that we're not going to get into today, but um, we were married about a year. Well, first of all, let me, let me just say this. To all the people who have heard this story about a hundred times and who have lived it with me, thank you for listening just one more time. And for the people who haven't heard this story, as Jimmy said, it is a story of hope because we did have a hopeless situation and the Lord did. He, he, he blessed us and he was faithful. But anyway, we were married about a year. And I filed for divorce. We separated and I filed for divorce. And I'm not sure how we reconciled at that time, but I just know that is what started about the next nine or ten years of a vicious cycle of us trying to make our marriage work. Um, I had two main reasons for staying married to Ron, and the first one was my children. I did not want them to come from a divorced home, and my second one was that I truly wanted to please the Lord. I was a Christian. I had been a Christian a long time, and I knew that God hated divorce, and I was bound and determined to do what the Lord had asked me to do, and that was to love Ron. But that was one thing that I could not do was love him. A lot of people's problems are alcohol or drugs or, Ron didn't want me to say this, but hunting or fishing or golf or, or something like that. But that wasn't our problem. Our problem was that we didn't like each other. We irritated each other. And that reflected in everything we did and everything we said to each other. And our little fights escalated to big, knock-down, drag-out fights where we ended up hating each other and me always wanting a divorce. Okay. I have to have my notes. I thought maybe I might forget my name when I was up here. Okay, so then we started to fix our problem. And what we did was went to every marriage counselor in Memphis. We read every self-help book there was. We, I went to ladies' retreats. Um, I went to Bible studies. Marriage Without Regrets, I can remember doing that one. Um, praying, pleading, begging God to change me, to change Ron, to change our marriage. And it always seemed like we always went back to the same thing. A big fight, us hating each other, and me wanting a divorce. And that went on for ten years. Now, Ron, you're talking about a ten-year marriage that is conflict from the very beginning. How are you responding? What is, what is, what's going on in your life during those 10 years? 
Well, um, like Judy said, um, during those 10 years, um, I was, our marriage was like an emotional roller coaster. Um, I thought that if I made a good living, uh, come home and uh, helped out with the kids and uh, helped around the house, that I was an ideal husband. Um, I came, uh, I'd already been through divorce, divorce once in my life, and uh, I just knew in my heart that I never wanted to take that route again. And uh, it seemed like on in our marriage that that route might happen again. And so I always tried to fix all the fights. And uh, a lot of the fights occurred uh, because of my volatile temper. Uh, I also had a very controlling spirit and expectations of things that... um, uh, if they didn't go exactly how we planned them, uh, I would get bent out of shape and uh, they would hurt hurt us. I came from a very dysfunctional family where a lot of I love you's never were said very much. And so here I had a, a lady that was crying out to be loved and I actually, I really did not know how to love her. And um, so... It, it just seemed we also had a blended family that was a source of friction and it over the years uh, it, it would take its toll and the only thing that I would uh, know how to do in this would would, would temporarily put band-aids on the relationship uh, to, just to fix it and uh, and it just it never did work uh, Judy was actually crying out to be loved and cherished and I just didn't have it in me uh, to do that. And but something catastrophic occurred, was it two years ago? Mm-hmm. Judy, why don't you share about that? Well, really, it was catastrophic, but it, was a, it wasn't a big fight. It was very subtle. I just woke up one day. It was like a light switch went off, and I said, you know, we've been doing this for about 10 years now. Our children are beginning to see this and to be affected by this. And um, I was beginning to lose my faith. I didn't, I didn't have that love for the Lord that I'd always had. And I, and I just said, I've had enough and this is it. I am divorcing him and I am, there's 99%, as I told my sweet little children, mommy is 99% sure that I am divorcing daddy. Now, Judy, this is kind of a curveball I'm throwing you here, mm-hmm. but, but in the midst of the, making that determination, there were people in the body that were pleading with you to do otherwise, were there not? Yes. I had such good and faithful friends who loved me and came to me, and I was like a stone wall, nothing. I could have cared less what anyone. I did not hear it. Scripture didn't penetrate me, nothing. Maybe a song on the radio might soften my heart, but I was cold as an ice cube. And I hate him, and I'm going to divorce him. Absolutely. Now, Ron, what were you doing during that period? Well, uh, just about this time, two years ago in April of 99, uh, Judy started telling me subtly that um, she wanted uh, a separation. And I would say, honey, well, we can work it out. What are we separating for? And um, she just said she wanted peace in our home. And I was still dealing with a controlling spirit and uh, still had bouts of temper at that time also. And 
she just said she wanted peace in the home. And so she asked me to uh, to move out. And I said, uh, for what? I'm, I'm not moving out of my own home. And uh, she said, well, you either move out or I'm moving out. And so my kids wouldn't have to go live in an apartment. Um, I moved out of the home even though I did not want to. Um, I would have to say the first couple of weeks in that apartment um, and my children calling me at night and telling their daddy good night uh, over the phone and I was in an apartment uh, was one of the lower moments in my life, if not the worst. And I, the Lord had my attention um, and he had it first firsthand. I, I, at first, I would would go back to my uh, old stalwarts of just trying to woo Judy back uh, with sweet words and flowers and uh, anything that I thought had helped in the past might help now. But she was, like she said, she was cold. She was set. Her her rock was set, and she was determined to divorce me. Um, and like I said, the Lord had my attention. I humbled myself before the Lord in that apartment. I cried out to the Lord for mercy. And I asked, uh, I asked him, I said, if you would just save my marriage, and I will definitely work on the things that I need to work on, such as loving my wife and cherishing her and, and, and living, you know, right, Lord. And the, the Lord really uh, worked on me that summer. And at this church, I had uh, dear brothers that I've met with every Wednesday night. And uh, we prayed and they would ask me, well, how's it going? And I'd go, not too good. Uh, she's, she hadn't bulged an inch. And, and guys, I think I'm really going to be divorced. And they would encourage me. They would pray for me. But um, I didn't have too much hope. But as the weeks and uh, months went on that summer, the Lord uh, really started speaking to me. He, he uh, encouraged me in my spirit. And I asked the Holy Spirit, I said, could you just please soften Judy's heart just a bit so she could receive some of this love, this newfound love that I, that I had. And over the months, and uh, the Lord started working on Judy's uh, spirit and my spirit. And we started loving each other for the first time in 11 years. Um, we uh, had never loved each other. And we had never told each other that we loved each other in 11 years. And uh, the Lord uh, brought all this about through nothing but a miracle in our marriage. It was nothing that I did to Judy or with Judy. The Lord completely changed her uh, countenance, uh, her spirit, and He changed mine also. Before you go... There is um, there's something that these people have to hear about, and I guess Judy, you'll have to you'll have to share it. Or uh, you were sharing with me that there was a there was a devotion in your house in your home recently. Um, a couple months ago, how we moms try to um, do devotions in the morning before the children go to school, and it was at a Josh McDowell book, and it was on God's faithfulness, and um, 
the question at the end was, if you had to give evidence of what, if you had to give evidence for God, what would be your evidence that He is a faithful God? And my sweet little girl instantly said, I know, Mama, I know it's that God didn't let you and Daddy get divorced. And so, folks, that is faithfulness. Guys, um, uh, from every corner, you are being attacked, and this institution that is so utterly vital is being attacked. And I wanted you to hear that, because I'm telling you, if there can be hope for Ron, and I think they don't mind me saying this, if there is hope for Ron and Judy Lewis and the mess that they were in, there's hope for any of you. Any of you. The, the Lord performed something miraculous in their hearts, and we celebrate it. But I'm telling you, He's not out of miracles. Now, let me hasten to add just a few mundane comments after hearing that. And then we'll go to the Lord's Supper. Guys, I read you this text this morning from Genesis chapter 2. I, used, I did a wedding last night. And I used this text last night in my wedding service, as I always do. Because this is the family charter. This is the definition that the Bible gives us concerning the family. It's very simple. It's very clear. It is simply, there, uh, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. I want you to notice. Do you notice in English, do you remember there was a person and there was a n number of a noun? Notice it says, a man and to his wife. One of each. No spares. One man, one woman, they get joined. And I want you to notice that it underscores that it's a man... With a woman, not a woman with a woman, or a man with a man. This is simply the, or a simple charter that undergirds the family. One man, one woman, no spares. One man and one woman. That's it. It is undeniably clear. It is, it is incontrovertibly to the point... It is impossible to miss the point, and yet, our culture missed the point. How does that happen? How can any of us sit out here and be the slightest bit confused about what God desires? There is no question that God desires monogamy for a lifetime. And that monogamy is to exist between a man and a woman. Now, you know, I may be preaching to the choir this morning. You know what, Jimmy? You know, uh, um, why? I mean, we know all this. Okay, I'll grant you that. You know it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not up here shouting because I want to convince you. I'm up here shouting to keep them from convincing me. We have an unmistakable...
unmistakably clear marriage family principle. And I'm telling you, I'm not willing to die over my views of baptism. But I'm willing to die in protection of this institution. You know, ladies and gentlemen, people who come in, 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 to me in their, in their darkest hours about to break up this thing that is so clearly provided by God. And I go to extremes that I'm not sure I even want you to know about. But I do things that are tough, hard, but I am so determined to try and save this institution. And you know what? All my efforts usually come to naught. It's when God gets to work. It's when God begins to move in a heart of a woman and the heart of a man. Did you hear what they said? They didn't love each other for ten years. And now they do. Did my counseling do that? <laughs> Hardy, hard, hard. Did Jeff's counseling do that? No, ladies and gentlemen. God did it. God did that. Let me tell you one other thing that God did. And, and then I'll quit and we'll pick it up on Father's Day. But ladies and gentlemen, not only has He given you a clearly defined charter, but He has gone out of His way, out of His way, to try and protect and build a fence around this institution. Let me make one point and that's all i got time for. You've heard of the Ten Commandments, haven't you? I thought you had. They're found in Exodus 20. You don't need to turn. But you know that the Ten Commandments are broken up into two, into two halves, really. Not perfect halves, but into two what they call tablets. You've got the first tablet, which has to do with God and his relation, a man and his relationship to God. And then the last six, that's the first four. The second tablet consists of six of the commandments. Six commandments. Fully three of those commandments. Three of the six on the second tablet, which describe man's human relationships, three of those commandments are designed to protect and, and place a sentry around your marriage. The, commandment five, um, honor your father and mother. And notice, ladies and gentlemen, that the honor that is due is designed for both father. Everything the father is to get in terms of honor, a mother is to get in terms of honor. But gang, that commandment wouldn't make a bit of sense if she's nothing more than a member of a harem. But there is, in fact, if a child is told to honor and there's more than one out there, who do I honor for heaven's sakes? That's one of the commands. The seventh command. The seventh command, of course, is thou shalt not commit adultery. The, the marriage bed being protected by a command of God. Don't ever defile that bed. And every child that is brought into the world is to be a product of that relationship and no other. Just think about it for a, little, just a brief second. Imagine the, the, the benefits that children have by being born into a family. And then compare that to the disadvantages of being born outside. It was never intended to be that way. 
It was always intended that the family be safeguarded by every piece of law. And then, the Tenth Commandment, Thou shalt not covet. Uh, and, and did you notice real quickly what it says you should not covet? It says, um, don't covet your neighbor's house, nor covet your neighbor's wife, nor your male servant. Everything that has to do with a family, a house and servants and a wife. Don't covet any of that. You, you know, the, the Tenth Commandment is vastly different from the other nine. Because the other nine says, you know, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Those are things that we do outside us. But the Tenth Commandment works its way into the intents of the hearts and thoughts. Thou shalt not covet. What exists in that family next door, I am not to desire. I am not to desire the home, the house, the, uh, the provisions for the house in terms of servants. And I am not to covet a wife. Half of the second tablet of the law has wrapped up in it provisions for the family. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible number one, if you're uncertain or confused about how the family is to exist, it's not the Bible's fault. They're confused. Are you? Surely they haven't affected us. Surely we haven't let them give us a definition for the family, have we? Surely the first lady is not that influential in your life, is she? One man, one woman, no spares. And then it's ultimately clear. And then, bless God, He goes to extreme. To protect us in the family. To protect a wife. To protect the children. All the provisions that are necessary. And I close with this. If it begins to unravel, He gives us grace to put it back together. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, consummate clarity, consummate hope. Who would ever do anything like that but our Heavenly Father? Let's thank Him for His goodness. Our Father, we do thank You that You have made such wonderful provisions for us as members of a family we want to be men and women who are, who are doing all that we can to safe keep this marvelous institution. Father, for husbands who are here today and you have granted to them wives, mothers that are full of integrity, oh, might we men realize what a favor you have done for us. Might mothers here today, might all women here today, see the extremes to which you have gone to protect that thing that is so terribly important to them, their homes, their families. 
And might we as a church, O oh God, go to whatever extremes we must, that the family never lose its glitter and glamour among us. Might it be the thing that comprises the health of Grace Evangelical Church. As our families prosper, this church will prosper. And now, Father, we come to a table that illustrates the great event that made love possible. For it is your word that says we love because we've first been loved. And so as a husband or a wife or a father or a mother, we can love another individual because we know something about what it means to be loved. Meet us here, O oh God, and remind us of consummate divine love. We pray in Jesus' name.